that's so low risk when a little girl as cute as Lily puts up her hand and to ask the answer because you know it doesn't matter what she says, right? <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, hey, it's so true, it's so sweet. She could have said potato and people would have been like, beautiful. Um, I have a confession to make. Uh, you're hearing what has ended up being kind of the third sermon that I've put together this week um, and preparing for a Carrie Dick's Celebration of Life Memorial yesterday, which was a really powerful time. And thank you to everyone who supported through attendance and uh, supporting uh, Heather and, and their children and um, providing food and all all lots of different ways that people supported them and, and John and Mary. Man, I just, I found it really hard to focus on this Sunday and what I wanted to talk about because I had a number of things lined up in the series and then yesterday was such an impactful time for me that I went home and I said, I, I think I need to speak on the importance of Christian community and friendship. And so this is a little bit less polished probably than uh, what, um, my normal rhythm of the week is, but it's, it's something that I just feel really in my heart that I want to put before us because, um, yeah, what a testimony Carrie's life was um, to God's goodness and greatness. And, uh, man, when you saw, like, if you weren't there, Bethel Church was packed out, and, I mean, conservatively, there was 350 people there, but could have easily gone north of 400 I'm a terrible judge with those things, but I know Bethel's capacity was 400, and it's, it, there was more there than could find seats. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read John chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 17. We've just kind of been looking and steeping in 1 to 11, but Jesus specifically addresses community and the call to love each other as his church in some of the verses that follow. So I just wanted to extend that out. So I'm going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're, al you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone, if anyone does not remain in me, then he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are just picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, and just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business, but instead I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command. Love each other. 
So we're kind of cycling in and through this passage where Jesus says, remain in me. And he says this because we do have a natural tendency to spiritually drift. The cares and worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. The New Testament points to a few causes that um, don't lead to necessarily our outright rebellion against God. It's just this relational drift that happens, like sometimes happens within marriage or in a friendship. And so Jesus' words, remain in me, should cause us to say, yeah, I, I, need, I need to be on top of this because the, nat- the default setting of my heart is to drift away from Christ. We looked at some of the characteristics that, of Christians who grow in depth and fruitfulness, and I won't go into details. That was in an earlier message. But in order to grow in depth and fruitfulness, to remain in Jesus, we need to learn to build rituals into our lives that will keep us in Christ, to maintain accountability. We need to commit to growing through hardships instead of letting hardships and suffering harden us. We learn to worship and to glorify God through them and learn what that means. We need to practice spiritual disciplines. We talked about Bible reading and prayer. I heard, uh, got, may, I'm not sure, it'd be close. Uh, last week's message, I don't think I've ever gotten more feedback beyond like, oh, a nice sermon, Pastor, but like direct, detailed, that was really helpful for me. Of, I don't know anything I've ever preached ever in like 14 or 15 years of pastoral ministry. And that was really encouraging to me. And it's been, and again, just that, for me, that, that turn of taking a, a biblical text and just praying through it, using that as your template for prayer, has been really, really exciting and helpful uh, for me, and I hear that it has been for you. So that, that's awesome. So practicing some of those core spiritual disciplines that Scripture points us to, and then establishing all of our activity in the gospel of grace. Understanding that we're doing this not in order to secure God's love, in order for God to accept us, in order for God to forgive us. That's completely uh, a backwards process of the gospel. The gospel is as we surrender and receive Christ's forgiveness, receive his acceptance, we've been adopted outside of any work that we've done, and now from that position of blessing and security and um, sonship in Christ, now we learn to live and to walk as Jesus walked, which takes the pressure off, which takes the anxiety down, and now I just get to go on the journey of learning what it means to become fully human in Christ. So today I want to talk about some of these things as it relates to Christian community and friendships, which I think there's a lot of struggle in, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions on what those things are supposed to look like, and so I just want to share some things that have been helpful for me, and then if we have some time, maybe I'll open it up to you as well and say, are there other elements of Christian community and friendships that maybe you think that I haven't highlighted here, but that are important? Again, we have to be careful when we're reading these texts not to read them simply on the individual level. They have lots of application individually, but Jesus in John 15 is addressing his disciples. So when he says you, he's saying you all. Together, it's a plural. Has application to us personally. We absolutely have to be cultivating an individual relationship with Jesus. But these commands are first and foremost commands to a group of Christians who are trying to follow Jesus. Jesus expects us to remain in him collectively, by learning to love him and learning how to love each other. And that's something that, again, you can see in these later verses, Jesus hammers home again and again. This is a new command I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. This is my command. Love one another. Love becomes the bottom line for, in defining what a relationship between Christians looks like. And again, just so we're clear and we don't unconsciously put our culture's definition or ideas of love and, uh, over top that biblical word. 
Jesus says, again, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. And that's really important because Jesus is the one who defines what love looks like. Jesus becomes our model for what love looks like. In 1 John 4.10, John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And I might say it a different way. You know, paraphrasing, I think John's saying, this is what we know what love is. Not by looking at how other people love each other naturally or how other people strive and imperfectly love God. You don't look to other people to ultimately define what love looks like. You have to look at how God acts, what he has done in and through Jesus in coming and living and dying and conquering death, not just for his friends, not just for the morally upright, but even for his enemies. You have to look and reflect and study the life of Jesus because that is what love looks like. That's the lens through which I hold myself accountable to loving people in this church. Too many churches, I think, settle for, I don't know the right word, I just kind of said mechanical love. Like we're, we're nice to each other, we're good to each other, and that's, it's nice to be nice and it's good to be good. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, that's a bad thing. But they don't progress beyond that. That's kind of like instinctive human love. But the love of Jesus compels us to walk down a deeper and more difficult path, one that is self-sacrificial, one that is self-giving and tremendously vulnerable, one that exposes itself to risk for the benefit of the other, one that is tender-hearted, genuine affection, not just the tough love of, oh, we're just gonna do the right thing and that's love. No, it's a, it's a really uh, beautiful balance of principled, courageous love but love that's also affectionate and caring and compassionate. And see, the church can be a place, and I thought about this a lot as I was praying and reflecting after Carrie's memorial. The, the church can be a place where we learn to love each other, and we'll do so always imperfectly, but it can be a place where we can imperfectly learn to love each other. And I think it can be a place that we can do that so well over time, even in the imperfection, even in the stumbling but moving forward, that people who are not a part of this community, when they see what's happening and when they hear the stories, I th- in, in the best, like, they, they would be envious. I feel very confident in saying there are a lot of people who are connected to Carrie Dick's life who are not a believer, wouldn't consider themselves religious in any sense of the word, but they saw the way this community and the Christian community rallied around Carrie and his entire family, and they were envious of that. They're like, I don't know that kind of community and love, that kind of self-sacrifice. I might do that for my immediate tribe, but I don't know if I would do that for someone who I don't know very well or... The church can be a place 
where we learn to love each other really well. And I think we always need to be pressing into that vision. And I thought this was really interesting, uh, the need for Christian community and for friendship and to be growing in those things is more urgent than ever. Uh, did you guys, I saw this on uh, uh, one of my f- Facebook feeds that the United Kingdom is now appointed a minister of loneliness. Did you guys hear that this week? Minister not meaning like religious minister, like, like what we would say like the Ministry of Transportation. There's now a person who's been charged by the government called the Minister of Loneliness and their job is to tackle social isolation. And they're hearing more and more studies, and I can't verify them, I didn't really look, but some of the headlines, you know, kind of like, uh, social isolation is is kind of the uh, health equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And when they study uh, the physiological and psychological deterioration that comes from a lack of community, and a lack of just what maybe a generation ago would have just been understood as, yeah, just general friendship, but as different mechanisms within our society pull people apart and isolate them, mental illness and strife and anxiety and depression, and there's a fruit, this really toxic fruit for death that we talked about a few weeks ago is happening, where more and more people are living under this kind of pall of darkness and depression. And a lot of it is traced back to a lack of deep, rich community and friendships. And again, I I don't want to insinuate that within the church that's not a problem because I think there's lots of people within the church who can show up here on Sunday and then go home and be functionally isolated. So it's a social problem, but I think the church is uniquely positioned to speak into that maybe emerging mission field How do we build deep, rich Christian community? I have a number of thoughts here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. First of all, I think where it starts is casting down your idol of Christian community. We all have this picture in our mind of what it's supposed to be like. These are the kinds of Christians. This is the kind of church. This is what it's supposed to feel like on Sunday or when I connect with my small group or my Christian friends. And we have this idolized vision. And it might be well-intended, but it tends to be a, a gross uh, overrepresentation of, of, of what could actually be. But we fall in love with this vision and we're like, yes, that's what I want. And then we show up to real life and real friendships and real community and real Sunday morning and, and real small groups and real connection points. And we're like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. It's too bad that there's not an opportunity for real Christian community here. Too bad no one else has the vision that I do. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, which if you're going to read one book on the nature of Christian, Christian community, read that book and read it repeatedly, probably at least every five years. He wrote these words. He says, the person who loves the dream of community will destroy it. He, it will destroy community. But the person who simply loves those around them will create community. That is a very subtle but important difference. You can have this vision. I, as a pastor, can be like, I know the kind of church that I want my church to be. I know how I want people to be connecting. And I'm going to try and make it happen and and manipulate relationships. All well-intended. I'm going to force friendships, do all these things. That'll that'll just cut the legs out from under community. People feel manipulated. They feel exploited. They can tell I'm pushing an agenda. They might appreciate that it's well-intended, but they're like, no. But if instead we just love each other, and love each other for where we are. 
That actually is how you build community. The second thing I would say if you want to build rich community and friendships with each other is prepare to be hurt. You just need to go into every relationship, but even church relationships, and maybe especially church relationships, uh, steeled in, in yourself. You know, you know you're going to be hurt. Love equals vulnerability. You can't love something genuinely without being vulnerable. And to be vulnerable means you are exposing yourself to a certain amount of disappointment, a certain amount of broken expectations. And if you love people long enough because they're as broken a sinner as you are, you will get hurt. And in that moment, you can decide to keep kind of armoring up and, and, and creating walls that allow you to, again, mechanically love people from a distance, safely, at arm's length, but you feel more interior, uh, more isolated on the inside, or you can learn to process that pain and that betrayal or the hurt or the wound through prayer and worship and go to God and allow him to do a work so that you can stay tenderhearted and continue to build and love. In one of the most memorable quotes from The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, then you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable. And it will become impenetrable and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so Christians, even in some of our closest Christian friendships, we should never be altogether surprised when we sin against one another and when we hurt. A cutting word, a deeply immature response in a situation, a pattern of behavior that just guts us. The hurt is real, and the reconciliation takes work. But because of the gospel and because of what Jesus has done, and if we learn to process our healing, our pain well, we keep going and we keep moving forward. But we can't go into Christian com community with a kind of naivete that says, oh, everyone here is Christians, they love God, so therefore it's just going to be this continual exchange of love and ease and everything's going to be wonderful. That's not how life works. Jesus journeyed with people who let him down, betrayed him. It's, if it happened to him, it's going to happen to you. You just need to be ready for it. But number three, not just to prepare to be hurt, but prepare to be surprised by joy too. Some of the best things in your life will come down to Christian community and Christian relationships. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Some of the most important relationships in my life, the best times, the, most, the, the moments where you're like, this does feel like the veil's been parted and I've experienced heaven on earth, has been conversations and times with Christian friends, like deep um, Christian friends that I've journeyed with and that I've suffered with and we've loved each other through a lot of things. Amazing. I don't think there's anything like Christian community when it's done well. Number four, you want to build relationships and friendships, you've got to invest in a local church. This is a necessary starting point. 
I think it is, I, maybe I won't say impossible. I, I just don't think it's uh, likely, <laughs> statistically, that you're going to be one of those people who cannot be engaged in, in an investing time, energy, money in a local church with other Christians, but yet still experiencing an overflow of deep relationships. Churches are pockets that God, of people who God has said, you're going to be my church and you're going to learn to love one another. Right? I don't have a responsibility in a direct way to love a Christian in Minnesota or in Asia. I, can't, I just can't do it. But I can love people in practical ways here. I can pray for people here. There are things that I can do in and through a local church. Hebrews 10.25 Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Even in the first century, the early church, some people were like, yeah, I don't need other people. It's fine. Me and Jesus. It's all good. The writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Let us encourage one another. I'll talk about that in a moment. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Number five, if you want to build Christian community, then pursue covenantal expressions of love and not consumeristic expressions of love. And that's a, a turn of phrase that has been helpful for me over the years to recognize that so often we are trying to build Christian community on the premise that if I give this person this person, they, I'm expecting some kind of return on investment or I won't give it all until they've given me first. So it's transactional in nature. That's not the way God loves. And the only kind of relationship that you're going to build when your attitude is consumeristic or transactional is a consumer relationship. And it's a transactional relationship, which isn't a relationship of depth and fruitfulness. And it's not a relationship that people think of and envision when they're like, oh, what does a real deep friendship look like? Look like? So we have to put the death in ourselves. And our whole culture has trained us to think transactionally across all kinds of aspects of, of, of society and, and our engagement in the world. We have to fight that as Christians. We have to take our cue from a Savior who loves people and who even healed people who didn't even say thank you. But the healing remains and the blessing continues and the love and the investment continues. Number six, uh, Sunday plus one. This is a really practical thing that I think uh, is really helpful for people. Sunday, Sunday is not a magic bullet in terms of community. I see this as kind of like the warm-up. You're, you're kind of warming up. You, you, you don't have often a lot of time to have deep, significant conversations on a Sunday morning. Sometimes that happens, but it's pretty rare. This is about gathering together and worshiping God. This isn't, prim this isn't about building community on a Sunday morning. Community is a byproduct on a Sunday morning. Worship is the central uh, focus of what's happening. But you do find that as you worship, you build community. And God moves through the worship uh, of his people. And then our bonds are strengthened. But if we're just hoping that all of that happens on a Sunday morning, I think you're going to be disappointed. So you've got to look for a plus one. What's one other way in a very intentional way? It could be a small group. could be a very formalized mentoring relationship. Uh, but what is one other way that you are engaging in intentional Christian community outside of Sunday. Now, some people here might have, you know, a plus two or three. That's totally fine. But I've met a lot of people over the year who said, I come 
even fairly regularly, two, three times a month on Sunday morning, but that's kind of it. But they're expecting community to be born out of this, and they're looking at other people, and they're envious because they're like, they seem to have this great relationship, and what they don't see is those people's relationships are solidified and catalyzed and galvanized in lots of contexts outside of Sunday morning. And so what they're seeing is these people show up on Sunday and being like really connected with each other and then they're just showing up on Sunday and being like, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this magical connection to happen. It's not happening. And again, it's either like, well, now I resent God because God's not doing something right or they point the blame inward and say, well, I guess I'm just something wrong with me. I'm defective. Or the resentment happens to other people, right? You start showing up and saying, well, you know, it's just, it's, it's not really a friendly church. It's not really, I mean, I go there every Sunday, but again, I'm waiting for someone. You know, first question I always ask people when they inevitably say, you know, I've come to church for a few Sundays, but no one's like said hi to me or anything. No one's invited me out anywhere. No one invited me over for dinner, da, da, da. It's like, like, did people say no to, like when you asked them out for a coffee or anything or? Did they refuse to shake your hand when you went up to someone and said, hey, good morning, I'm new. I don't know what's going on here, but I just thought I'd say hello. And they're like, oh, I didn't do that. It's like, okay, yeah. So, you, you know, they're, they're, we have to take responsibility. Relationships don't just happen. And, they, and Christian relationships don't just happen on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a platform through which then we build relationships through the, through the week. And, and something to say here that I, sometimes I, I don't emphasize this enough but when I don't say it and then I tell it to someone, they're like, oh, that's a paradigm shift. Generally speaking, Sunday morning, this is not empirical, this is just my own sense and talking to other pastors. It takes about two to three years of regularly attending a church before on Sunday morning you will feel like it's your church. There's some factors that it might make that longer or shorter, but you cannot come to a church for four months and expect to, that it there's something wrong with the church or you or God. It just takes a long time to build up into a flow. I've been here for th- almost three years now and I could feel somewhere between after the second year feeling like, oh, I now kind of, I know a critical mass of people. I know the rhythms. I've, and, and I come to church, you know, 48 times a year. And it took me that long before I kind of settled into like, oh yeah, like these are my people and like that full dust settling moment. It takes time. Number seven, Be patient. Often we're like, I want Christian community and I want it now. I want deep friendships. I want it now. How do we do it? How do I fast track? You cannot fast track it. It takes two to three years on a Sunday morning to have a comprehensive sense of connectedness to the community and they having a sense that you're a part of this too and the kind of friendships that we want, like these deep, meaningful, like we all know each other to a certain extent, but I'm talking about those concentric circles of intimacy and depth those first and second levels where it's like, these are like, have become close friends to me. I can share almost everything, if not everything, spiritually, relationally, what's going on. I, with, with these people, because of their trustworthiness and what we've journeyed through, it's an open book. In a lot of cases, that takes three to five years before that comes into view. You can't rush it. And if you want to expedite it, It's just a thing where I would say, be careful what you wish for because there is only one thing that will bring people who don't know each other really well um, closer in a really rapid time frame. Do you know what it is? What is that? 
suffering. Yeah, Large, larger the suffering, the more, if, if it's handled well and people are mature and going into it, that'll bring people closer together. And that's another reason why it's important to go into all your friendships, all your Christian relationships, willing to be vulnerable. Because you will not be able to protect yourself from suffering and at the same time, move into increasing levels of depth and intimacy with people. Think about the people that you are most connected to, family, marriage, children, people in the community. Likely, you have not had an easy ride with that person. That, that your relationship has just been characterized by smooth sailing. So if we want to learn how to love each other, we're going to have to be prepared to enter into hardship for ourselves to be vulnerable. But even in the midst of that, it takes patience. When I came here, someone told me, as a pastor in a new church, you got to be prepared to be here five years before there's going to be uh, a bit of that internal relational turning point. Now, I think that might have been a guess on the high end of things, on the long end, but I came here waiting to be patient, not expecting to have best friends here in six months. That's an unfair pressure to put on people. It's unfair pressure to put on myself and on God. So we have to be patient. And lastly, you've got to ground your community in communion with Christ. Um, and this is just a pastoral challenge to say, I, I think there are a lot of people who try and use Christian community to compensate for a lack of communion with Christ. So they're not cultivating, like I said last week, this depth of relationship with Jesus, learning what that means, struggling in that, but through engaging the Bible and prayer, um, growing and bearing fruit and remaining in Jesus. They're kind of not doing those things, and then they're trying to facilitate depth of a Christian relationship with people, often people who are, but they feel like something is missing. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of like that old school thing. I don't know if, how many of you have been exposed to it, but when Christians used to get married, they used to show you that triangle, like marriage isn't between two people, it's between three people, and Jesus is at the top of the pyramid, and that's how you build a healthy relationship. And it's like that, yeah, that's like every Christian relationship. You can't really have a Christian relationship if you are not remaining in Jesus, but are trying to cultivate the fruitfulness in this relationship that comes from staying rooted in Jesus. And so sometimes it's wise to say, I feel like I'm just not connecting with uh, I'm not experiencing this kind of Christian community to pull back even from Christian community for a little bit and to ask yourself, okay, how, what's lacking in my relationship with Christ? Because as I grow in my relationship with Christ, I am compelled to love people well and to listen to people and there's an overflow in my life. And then as I meet other people who are growing, I want to learn. And Christian community isn't something that you have to f manufacture. It, it is a natural overflow when people come together where there's trust and there's intimacy to a certain degree of two people who are growing in Jesus. You always have something to talk about. It's always interesting. You're always being challenged. You're always being stretched and learning and growing. So those are eight considerations I have. I don't know if it, um, maybe just open it up for a second. Are there any things that you've experienced about Christian community? Maybe there's a question that we can pause on for a moment. Leslie?
That's a powerful testimony. Totally true. That's why Paul hammers again and again in his letters, especially to the Corinthians. You are the body of Jesus. Like, literally, Jesus isn't here anymore. He's given us his spirit. We are now empowered by the spirit. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Where he dried tears, we have to dry tears. Where he provided food, we have to provide food. Where he embraced sinners, we have to embrace sinners. So we have to learn to love, yes, each other well, but also one of the most important ways that we make God known is by loving the non-Christians in our lives well and being that bridge. I mean, that's why Peter says you're a priesthood of believers. You're a holy nation. You're on mission in the world to be a priest in the sense that you are connecting people to the living God. Jesus is the high priest, but you have a priestly function in people's lives. At your workplaces, in your families, in your friendships, on your sports teams, to be a conduit of God's grace and love and mercy. Any other reflections on Christian community or principles that maybe you want to f- uh, fill in? Mike? Jeff, I, th- I think sometimes our lives become so busy and our families become so busy that we become really egocentric. And that's really dangerous when you grow in community. You don't have time for others because we're consumed with our own business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The schedule gets filled up, right? Our default is... Full schedule equals productivity equals good equals we're being fruitful. And then if even if something gets taken out of the schedule, it's a vacuum, it's a hole. We fill it right away with something. Um, one discipline that you might want to do, and I was going to talk about this on my week on fasting, but we'll talk about it now, is uh, have one, even, even start, little baby steps, one week in the month um, where you set aside one evening specifically to just, what do you call it, Christian community, Christian friendship, whatever. Maybe it's the last Thursday of the month and you take the first two weeks to pray about someone that you could have over, that you could do something with, or a group of people that you want to invite over for board games or whatever, or to get together and offer to go over to someone's house and pray with them if they're shut in, if they're going through some kind of illness, and you intentionally block that off and you treat it as a non-negotiable. If someone else phones you and says, hey, I want, you know, this needs to happen. You're like, no, I already have, I have a pre-existing commitment. And to start and build from there. But yeah, making sure we're carving out time, not just getting sucked into the busyness of life, that we're carving out time to pray for one another, to have each other on the radar, and creating space so that as opportunities open up, we have flexibility to say, you know what? I was going to do this now, but because I've opened up time over here, I'm going to shift this over here now, and now I'm going to come over and have a coffee or let's go out for lunch or something. Three rhythms that have helped me. Thanks for sharing that. that those are really, um, really important considerations. Three ry- rhythms that have helped me that I think I, I just come back to often. And starting this week, I just began praying these scriptures into my life. Uh, is number one, p- place courage in one another. That's a really important way. No matter what the re- level of relationship, we can do that. We can encourage. You know, the Latin is literally encourage. Put courage into someone. And we can do that all the time in ways big and small, especially through words, through an email, through a letter, through a hand on the shoulder and saying like, oh, I'm really proud of you. That was really great. I see growth there. I see the way that you're seeking God in this thing, even though it's hard. First Thessalonians says, therefore, encourage one another. Put courage inside of one another on Sunday mornings, in small groups, as you're coming and going, as you bump into people at the grocery store. Number two, confession and vulnerability. This is hard for me. It's hard for me to be vulnerable 
but I'm learning that as I confess my sins to other people and I invite them to pray for me, there is a healing that happens in my life. And I can't build Christian community if for whatever reason, whether it's pride or just wanting to not be too messy and and inconvenience other people emotionally, I try and posture and act as if I've got it all together. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, and I know there's all kinds of complex issues in terms of levels of trust, and yeah, you don't, you're not just equally vulnerable with anybody that's not health, emotionally healthy. Jesus wasn't equally vulnerable with anybody. Um, but, so we have to have wisdom there, but we have to have people in our life whom we can expose ourselves to. And we have to be able to confess our sins, which is a loaded way of saying, be honest with God and honest with each other with the fact that we're not perfect and we made a mistake. We have to be able to say, I've really been entrenched in this pattern for a long time in this marriage or um, in our friendship and I need to apologize for that. And I'm seeking God's forgiveness. I'm seeking your forgiveness. I want to repent of that. You can't have Christian community with people who aren't apologizing to one another, who aren't willing to reconcile, who aren't trying to expose themselves to someone else and say, this is really hard for me. This is really awkward. Um, But I need your help in this. I need you to pray for me. And lastly, we need to learn to forgive and bear with one another. Colossians 3 says, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We need to bear with one another. And the word there connotates the actual genuine use of the word tolerance. Tolerate each other's inadequacies, their failures, their inconsistencies. None of us are perfect. And so when we get hurt by one another, when we let each other down, hopefully the person doing the letting down is quick to apologize and the other people are quick to say, yeah, we understand, we appreciate it. We appreciate you taking ownership of it and let's move forward together. We don't hold people to impossible standards and we're quick to forgive. Not let walls bear, bear up, but talk honestly and openly and sometimes that gets messy and sometimes that definitely gets heated, but we can still learn to do that in God's grace and God's love. And I think the key there is what it says at the end in terms of all of this Christian community is, you know, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You're not gonna be able to generate all this love just trying to love people more. What you have to actually do is reflect and steep in the gospel. You have to be reading about Jesus, studying about his life, considering how all of that was done for you, even though it was undeserved. And as you see Jesus serving and loving and forgiving and encouraging and comforting others, realize that was all ultimately a gift that he gave you. And so we serve one another as the Lord served us. We encourage one another just like the Lord served us. We give to one another just like the Lord gave to us. We comfort one another and we forgive one another as Jesus did to us. So may we be a community that grows in the ability to love each other well. Would we be a community that through patient, courageous, forgiving, grace-filled love that is fueled out of our own communion with Jesus, let's really continue to press into that vision of what it looks like to love each other well and to love each other the way that Jesus loved us. Let's pray. God, to love you and to love our neighbor well is a high and holy calling and it is a task that none of us are really equipped for, so we ask for your help. Your spirit would inspire us and lead us, God. 
I don't just want each individual here to remain in you and to be fruitful in and of themselves. I want us to be fruitful as a church, fruitful in how we love you and love other people, fruitful in the way that we witness to your grace and your love. God, thank you for the sharing about how we can so easily get busy. And sometimes in that busyness, maybe we've missed opportunities to love people around us that were in a situation that Leslie was in. So God, we pray and ask for your forgiveness of that. Give us eyes to see that hurry and productivity are not the highest markers of faithfulness in your kingdom. It's loving each other as you've loved us. Teach us how to do that and form us into people who can do it, God. By your grace, amen.